but there's been this new wave of student loan companies that are not requiring a cosigner, which is good for the parent because they're not on the hook. It's good for the students who might be underserved, whose parents don't have good credit scores or don't have the income requirements. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I could not be doing this thing by myself, so let's check in with my awesome co-host, Justin. What's up, man? I'm just hanging out down here in Atlanta with uh, my girlfriend, Leslie. We're actually still in Atlanta, but down here for a little vacation, and uh, we checked out the Atlanta Aquarium, and if you've never been, you gotta check it out. How about you, Cody? Well, I got to say, Justin, I've been to Atlanta. I have not been to the Atlanta Aquarium, so that is definitely on my list for my next visit. Yeah, man, they have whale sharks in the aquarium. Whale sharks? (laughs) Whale sharks. That is ridiculous. But before we move forward, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Skillshare is this really cool online learning community where they've got thousands of classes covering all these different creative skills or entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography to creative writing. I know I'm really excited about looking at the Instagram for business because we're always trying to make the show assets look a little better online to attract more people. So you can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare. You will get two months of unlimited access to all of their courses. All you have to do is go to Skillshare.com slash Fi show. That's Skillshare.com slash Fi show. Yeah, so this past weekend, my girlfriend came and visited me in Boston, and unfortunately, now she's headed back to school. But Justin, speaking of school, we have two guests on today who, unfortunately, they got saddled with student loan debt, but they didn't just sit there. They didn't just accept it. They wanted to find a solution to the problem, and that solution was their company, LendEDU. But I don't want to give away the whole story. Take it away, Nate and Mike. I would say right when I entered into college. For me, like, you know, in high school, I had some like part time jobs. And, but like in high school, like your personal finances, at least for me, weren't really top of mind. But as soon as I entered into like freshman year of college, is when I took out a pretty meaningful amount of student loan debt. And for me, it was uh, definitely discomforting. Wasn't really planning on on taking out as much debt as I ultimately had to right away in my college career. And when you log in to your student loan account, they, they tell you how much interest you're paying per day. And so for me, I think when I got really engaged with my own personal finances, that would have been freshman year of college, which would have been 2012. And how about you, Mike? I would say I was actually a little bit later than Nate. Like in college, I was aware of my finances I had a couple of jobs in college, you know, like the typical college jobs. But then to be honest, like I, I have student loans as well that I'm still paying off. And it didn't take it took me until after I graduated college to be fully aware of my student loan debt balance, which is funny because now like all I talk about is personal finance. But I do think that's like a big I think it's a big problem for a lot of student loan borrowers is that they go to college and their parents just kind of sign them up for financial aid without having a real conversation about, you know, how much student loan debt they're taking on and how long they're going to be repaying this after college. So it really took, like, once I graduated, my mom basically just handed me my student loans and was like, this is yours now, you got to repay it. And like, that's when I really started, you know, attacking it and being aware of it and trying to repay it as efficiently as possible. So Nate, you start caring about your finances a little, you know, it's a little more top of mind about seven years ago as you're a freshman in college. When you say that, like now you're starting to care about finances a little more, what did that do? What did you change? I got a job in school 
pretty quickly. I got a job at the on-campus computer lab, which I think is the the best job I will ever have. And uh, it was a way for me to like earn some income, but also start repaying my student loan debt right away. I was making payments really from like month one of college. And so that was the like initial reaction as I went out and got a job. But I think over four years, I was able to make some more proactive decisions financially too. So I think it was actually a good thing that I got started my freshman year. And how much debt was that we're talking about? Well, when I graduated, it was almost $60,000 in student loan debt. But for me personally, it was actually front loaded in the first two years. I got a little creative in, in the second half, taking some classes at that community college, working during the summers and so actually over half of that balance, I would say about 75% of that 60000 I borrowed in my first two years of school. And so Mike, at what point did you guys meet each other? Could you talk a little bit about what college you went to and just give us some more of that backstory? Yeah, so we both went to the University of Delaware and we met at the end of our freshman year actually. And then kind of coincidentally, sophomore year, we ended up living in the apartments next to each other. And that's when we really started hanging out all the time and really became friends for the next three years of college from sophomore to senior year. And then after college, I think me and Nate were out at the bar one night and we we're just like talking about, you know, what I was going to do with my career and everything. And Nate was like, we're looking for a guy to come on and create some content for us. And I was looking at similar roles to what Nate was offering and kind of just took off from there. And I accepted a job at Lendy.U. And that was like almost three years ago now. So that was kind of our, our first mention of Lindy to you. So Nate, how did this idea come about and what did the creation of that actually look like? Yeah. So we launched Lindy to you in 2014 while we were in school. At that time, I was actually doing a lot of freelance writing for different like finance and investing sites. I was like a finance major. I was really passionate about like investing. And, and so I had this nice little freelance job going. And one of our good friends, his name's Matt, my co-founder of Lendy to You. Matt is a very entrepreneurial person. His background's in computer science. And I don't remember exactly how it happened, but somehow together, we came up with the idea to build a blog. Specifically at that time, a, a blog to help students and graduates better manage their student loan debt. It was a very personal issue for me. Sort of what we thought in the beginning was, I was going to handle all of the content because it was something I knew really well. Matt was going to handle like building the blog, making it look nice, the technical aspects of it. And so we, we sort of just teamed up with no expectation that it would become our full-time job. But we've been really fortunate so far. And by the time that we graduated from college in 2016, the site had grown big enough that we were able to jump into it full-time. So obviously, Nate and Mike, you as well, you guys identified a gap in the market. There was some lack of communication, some lack of information. I know, Mike, he said your mom literally handed you a pile of debt when you graduated and said, here you go, Mike, like figure this thing out. What types of things were your teachers, your parents, you guys can both address this, but did you have any education at all, either before or during school while you're accumulating these student loans? Or was it just honestly a huge gap in the market? Yeah, so for me, it was a massive knowledge gap. In college, so I could start even in high school, No, nothing even close to like a personal finance class that any students had to take. And that was, I don't even think that was ever a thought in like our administration's mind to like give students a finance class. And then in college, freshman year, first semester, 
we had that like introduction to college really where you can like learn how to budget and learn how to like you know use credit but that was really the that was all it was and then the rest of it was kind of just adjusting to college life but that was like the closest thing that we had to a financial literacy class and it wasn't even for credit so all throughout college there was really nothing and then once I graduated, there's a few websites that you can go to. Department of Education has some good stuff as well. But going back to like the financial literacy aspect of things, I've done a lot of work doing research on financial literacy programs across the country at colleges. A couple colleges are really at the forefront of, you know, mandating these financial literacy classes on campus so that you have to take like X amount of credits related to financial literacy before you graduate. And I think that's a great place to start and something that should be implemented across more college in the United States, just making students aware of their personal finances and how to handle them when they're in college and when they're out of college. I think like I was a finance major, so I think I was a little bit more exposed to it than others. So yeah, there were some introductory type finance courses that I think were applicable in my own life. But again, I was a finance major. So I'm not sure that like like Mike said, I think my experience was a lot different. The reason for LendEDU is we thought that like at the time there were a lot of sites that helped you compare and learn about student loans, but sort of what we thought was all of those sites that we like called our competitors and we still do, they all looked like they were from 1998. And it was really hard to get what you needed quickly. So sort of like our value prop on like how we can be different is we're not going to say anything to you about income-driven repayment plans that's different from the site from 1998, but maybe we can create a video. Maybe we can cover everything in 200 words versus 2,000 words. So we tried to make student loan debt, financial aid topics like more approachable and friendly. That was our original idea, at least. Again, this could be for both of you, but I would like to dive into that approachability a little more you know, you, you noticed a gap where a lot of these websites are, they're kind of outdated. Maybe they, they were built by an older person and they just really didn't have the younger person in mind. What kind of content have you found works best for college age folks? Specifically with college age folks in the beginning, we did a lot of video content. So what we did and still do is we, we took these giant topics like income driven repayment and we cut them down into a 60 second video. So that like you could get everything you needed to know about income-driven repayment plans or, or Sally Mae in 60 seconds. And it's not going to be any more than 60 seconds. That was one of the first like projects we worked on. And it's still something we try to do today. I guess I can kind of go off that. Just from talking to people in the financial literacy space on college campuses, one of the things that I've gotten feedback on is that a lot of financial literacy programs on campus are set up so that you can do one-on-one -on -one consultations if you're looking for it, but the person that's the expert is also a fellow student that might be like a year or two older than you. So like one of the programs at Stanford, they actually tap into their alumni base and have financial professionals, people that have taken out mortgages, people that have fully repaid their student loans or are running big companies, and they come back and provide the one-on-one -on -one consultations. So I think that just resonates with college students more, is if they can hear from someone that's been there and done it before, rather than someone that, you know, maybe knows a little bit more, but really hasn't had the full experience yet. 
So obviously one of the biggest ways you can avoid student loan debt altogether is prevention versus treatment. So could you talk a little bit about how a high schooler going into college in terms of mindset, like should they be thinking about a certain career, a certain loan to future income ratio, just some general guidelines that you guys like to use or at least educate people on who are thinking about going to college and taking out debt? Yeah, so I mean, I think for any high school student that's approaching the college search process, they really need to be have like an honest conversation with themselves. Do they really need to go and receive a bachelor's degree and pay for four years of college? Or can they receive the same level of knowledge by going to a trade school or going to a community college or taking online classes or maybe just like diving feet first into the working world and getting their experience that way? So, you know, are you going to college and taking on maybe six figures of debt just to go to college because that's what everyone says is the, you know, the good thing and the right thing to do. I think that's a conversation that, you know, every high school student should really have is if I already know what my career wants, like what I want it to be, do I need to go to college for four years to get to that career, get to that point? So I think, you know, that's a good place to start. And then in terms of like debt to income, I think college students or high school students when they're seniors, they should really try to exhaust all scholarship and grant options available to them. Even on our site, we like list out a ton of scholarships and they have scholarships for anything you can imagine, like all sorts of funky scholarships. So uh, they can first exhaust all those options. Don't be afraid to apply as many as possible. And grants as well. You know, there's a lot of grants that you can that can be had and that's going to fund part of your tuition as well. So that's another, you know, look to those options before you start turning and taking on a ton of student loan debt. Yeah, as far as minimizing student loan debt goes, in my opinion, as a starting point, students and families should try to think about the entire amount of debt they will take by the time they graduate. In my own case, and in many cases, I know that like it's easy to think about year one. Like After year one, I'm going to graduate with $20,000 in student loan debt. But by year four, what does that look like? And is that like $70,000, $60,000 in my own experience? It can get away from you and you can kind of get trapped. Like say you're three years in, you're not really at a point where you could transfer or do something different and you're going to have to borrow again. But thinking about that before you start borrowing, I think could be valuable. Applying for scholarships is important, but where most people stop is after they're already in school. So it's a big focus for, for students to apply for scholarships in high school, but not nearly as many students are applying for scholarships sophomore year, junior year, senior year. I also really always recommend to people to even if they're going to a traditional four-year school, to take community college classes alongside those four-year classes. I actually took an entire semester's worth of classes at Santa Barbara Community College online while I was going to the University of Delaware. And I saved over $10,000 by doing that. You can use community college classes while you're at a four-year to lower the cost and still be at the four-year and have a great time with Mike. And so, and then once you graduate to thinking strategically about how you're going to repay that debt on what timeline and who's going to help you do it potentially like an employer can just reduce the cost of the debt over the long run. So we've been covering a ton of the, you know, like the meat of the content that you guys provide out there. And that's great. I know we're going to keep digging into that, but before we get too far away, I'm curious, what did this site look like as a business? How quickly did it take off? How far has it scaled? How many people are working on it? Those kind of questions. Sure. So we launched in 2014. By the end of 2014, we were making about $200 per month. And really, like the way that we get paid, the way that we earn revenue 
is the same today as it was in 2014. Lend.edu earns compensation from the different financial services companies that advertise on our website. And what does that mean? We have different like rate tables and call to actions that are labeled as advertisements throughout our website where different financial services companies pay us to be included. Lend.edu is an independent review site. Companies can't pay us to write positively about them or to give them a positive rating or to be included in our best of pages. But they can pay us for those like premier ad placements within our blog's content. We've always worked hard to make it clear to consumers what's an ad and what's not an ad. But back to like the progression of our company, by the end of 2014, we were doing about $200 a month in revenue. By the end of 2015, we were doing about $10,000 a month in revenue. And then by the time we graduated in June of 2016, we were doing about $50,000 a month in revenue. Wow. So when we jumped in full time, it looked like this could be a full-time job. And it was at that point that we, we started to hire people to help us. So Mike joined our team um, in 2016, right, Mike? It was actually 2017, in the beginning 2017. of 2017. Yeah. Okay. And today, like, we're up to 15 full-time employees. Most of our team works on our content team. So that includes, like, writers, editors, the people actually creating content for our website. It's really like the core of our business and 10 of our 15 employees sit on our content team. As far as progress to where we are today, Lend.edu is now in like the low to mid seven figures in annual revenue. And we work with over 120 different advertisers. So I really like that you say that I didn't even know that's how exactly your business model worked. But so all the content is independent. So you're never going to say like, this is the best savings account, or this is the best credit card, just because they pay you a lot of money, but they can put a, I guess, well-placed ad within content that's independently written by you guys with your actual opinions of who is the best and who's not. That's correct. So we actually have a full-time employee on our content team. His name's Tom. Tom actually creates and rates all the products on Lendd.com. Tom has rated over 700 products and he's got a hell of a lot of spreadsheets. And we really try to use like an objective methodology to compare things side by side with not a lot of opinion. And what we do is to create like our best life insurance page, for example, the companies that are included on the best life insurance page and their scores that they're provided those are there because like Tom decided those were the actual best companies. But within that article, you might see like a, a box that features a particular life insurance company that has the word advertisement on it. Or maybe you'll see like a table. And so we work in advertisements within like the independent editorial content. So as you're growing the company and you say you have 15 different employees, where did you kind of source these people from? Were these people you knew, other people you went to college with? Did you just kind of put out ads on Craigslist? How do you find these people? <laughs> yeah. So out of the 15 of us, 10 of us went to the University of Delaware. And really our first few people that came and worked at Lend.edu were like my college roommates. Like they had been exposed to me talking about Lend.edu for about a year and a half. And so they, they knew my business inside and out. And then it finally got to the point where like we were looking to hire people and 
the first people we turned to were our roommates because like they knew the business. It was seamless. Like day one, they were integrated into the team. Like really from the beginning, we've we've tried to hire like the smartest people we knew. So we weren't really like too caught up about like what was your major or like what internship did you have in the past? So we didn't worry about any of those things. We just tried to find people that were like really smart and really passionate and then let them find themselves. That's how it worked for the first couple years. But then once we got to like, I would say 10 people or maybe like eight or nine people, that's when we had to start to like specialize. Like we, we knew we needed an editor. So like once we started to, to hire outside of like the Blue Hen Network, we, we tried to find individuals that were currently employed in the roles that we needed to fill. So what we would do, and I, I can't suggest this to everyone, but we'd basically go on LinkedIn and build a list of 100 editors that work at every one of our competitors and say, like, out of these 100, maybe 30 look like they're great candidates. Let's just reach out to these people, have a conversation and see if it might be a good fit. So actually LinkedIn premium has resulted in like five of our 15 people wow okay go linkedin (laughs) yeah i don't work for linkedin or have any affiliation with them so that was an honest endorsement of linkedin that's awesome so mike you started working there at the beginning of 2017 and you've been on the content team the entire time yeah that's correct so what have the changes been? Like, have you seen changes in the way that you've been running things or just progression with the site in general, people you're helping, things you're focusing on? I'd love to hear a little bit more about the inner workings of Lend.edu, like a day-to-day type of thing. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. Yeah, sure. So like, I guess on the outer workings, like when I first started, we were in like probably like a 15 by 15 room, like eight guys stuck in there like in the middle of the summer sweating so it was uh it was it was fun and then uh, we bonded and then we moved into a pretty nice office and like just a month ago or not even a month ago we just bought the office next to us and knocked down the wall so now we have an even bigger office so that's kind of just like how the office literally grew which was cool to watch and that was awesome but then like just in terms of the inner workings one of the things i've kind of noticed is that People have just like developed their roles to find their specific niches. And then just like the organization on the way we do things. Like now we have a ton of meetings all the time, every single day with various people just meeting on, you know, how to build the business and how to do things better. Whereas before it was maybe it's like not as organized and it was kind of just freewheeling it. 
but we're really starting to act like operate as almost like a corporation and that we have set times to meet and like we everyone has their own role that they have to you know build out so in that regard we've definitely grown since at least i've started and then i mean that's yeah it's kind of i guess my answer to that mike when you started we weren't uh, we we didn't have any of the corporation baggage like when we first like started the business like we had no experience like we never yeah. started a business before yeah, and like yeah. when we first started lend edu like we didn't even think it was going to become a business so man sometimes i do wish i could go back to like 2016 or 2017 when it was just like eight guys in a 15 by 15 <laughs> because like mike you said like you didn't have to worry about meetings. Like we don't yeah. have to worry about like performance reviews and like making sure we're not out of coffee filters. Like things like that didn't exist when you first started, Mike. Yeah. I think those were some of the best times. Yeah, built character. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, jumping back into the to the content a little bit. I mean, I feel like in this day and age, there's always like some new thing coming out that disrupts a certain part of the market. So with student loans, is there anything kind of new on the horizon that's coming out there? Or are we just still looking at the same kind of products we've always looked at? Tons of government back loans, same old, same old. The one thing I can think of is the, um, Nate, you can help me out here, is when yeah, you, can invest, take this question. you can invest in like a student. What's it called? So as far as like products that are disrupting the student lending market, the first one that comes to mind is income sharing agreements. Yeah. Where instead of taking out debt, you essentially pledge a future percentage of your income to the individual that gave you the money. So the pros are like to an income sharing agreement, like if you don't have a job and you're not earning money, then you don't need to pay anything back because like the amount you pay back under the income sharing agreement is based on your total compensation. But the downside is like, say really successful and you're making a lot of money you might end up paying them back a lot more than you would have if you had just taken out a regular federally backed student loan. I think the biggest question mark on income sharing agreements is like, how much is it going to cost you? Like at least with a loan, you can, you'll know in the beginning, like what exactly this loan will cost me over time. But with an income sharing agreement, you really won't know what it'll cost you. So there are definitely pros and cons. And regulators still don't really, I think, have it completely figured out. And there's a lot of politicians talking about them, but it's still too early to, to tell. Another big thing that I've seen in disrupting the, the traditional student loan space, like like Sally May or, or Wells Fargo or Discover, like the three traditional lenders, there's been an, a wave of like alternative student loan lenders. Those are companies that offer student loans without a co-signer. So traditional private student loans, about like 90% of the time, the parent has to go on and co-sign with the student. So basically, like the parent is jointly responsible for repaying this student loan with the student. Students are approved based on their parents' income and their parents' credit score, which can make it really difficult for some students to qualify for additional funding if you know their parent might not have a good credit score. But there's been this new wave of student loan companies that are not requiring a cosigner, which is good for the parent because they're not on the hook. It's good for the students who might be underserved, whose parents don't have good credit scores or don't have the income requirements. And the way that the companies are doing it is they're trying to 
use alternative factors as a way to underwrite borrowers. So for example, like say you're a computer science major in the spring semester of your senior year, but you know, you don't have a good credit score, your parent doesn't have a good credit score, you're still probably a pretty good candidate because like you're in your senior year and you're a computer science major. I like, hey, I would probably lend you some money. So that's kind of how they're thinking about it, which has been good to see because it, I think it has made student lending a little bit more accessible without co-signers. Yeah, those are both cool products. I've never heard of that second one. I had heard of the income sharing thing, but yeah, that's pretty cool, the alternative lending. So I want to pitch a scenario at you real quick just to kind of see how you tackle it and what you recommend to people. Let's say I'm someone with like $100,000 in student loan debt. I'm making 50K a year. Should I be throwing as much as I possibly can of my savings at the student loan debt? Should I be making the minimum payments? Let's call it an interest rate of 6%. Yeah, I well, I think if you're only making $50,000 a year and, and you have $100,000 student loan balance, your monthly payments are going to be a pretty substantial part of your income. So I think first off, if you can't afford to make your monthly payment, you could explore one of the income-driven repayment plans. They're offered by the Department of Education. And really the way it works is your monthly payment will be capped to 10 to 15% of your income each month. That's something that you could explore. But let's say that like you're, you're really frugal, you, you can't afford your monthly payment, Maybe you have a side hustle and you're trying to pay these things off as fast as possible. Well, first, like you want to pay off the loans with the highest interest rates first. Personally, when I graduated, I, I had loans that were nearing 10%. But then on the other hand, I had loans that were below 4% in interest rate. So sometimes there can be a big difference and you want to pay off the loans that are the most expensive first and the fastest. Something that you could do as well, which which I've actually done twice, is consider refinancing your student loans. When I graduated, like I mentioned, I had student loans with interest rates close to 10%. I actually refied about a year out and dropped my rate down to 6%. And then I refied again a year later and was able to drop my rate down to 3.75%. So a lot of times, like, People don't know that you can refinance. And a lot of times people don't know that you can refinance more than once. So for that person like me, actually, that's looking to repay their student loans as fast as possible. What I did was I refinanced, I lowered my rate substantially, but I also cut my term length down. So I went from a 10-year repayment term to initially a seven and then a five because I, I made the decision that I wanted to put as much of my monthly income towards these things as possible to uh, get them out of the way. To address that second part, or I guess my second part of the question, and you might be a perfect example, actually, Nate. So from the numbers you gave us before, right when you graduate, you're probably making enough money where you probably could have paid those down in a couple of months. But it sounds like you didn't choose to do that. Like, is there a reason to not just front load the hell out of your payments and like pay them off as fast as possible? You mean the business was making enough money? Well, the business, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there was expenses. <laughs> yeah, there were expenses. We've really kept everything in the business. So like personally, I definitely make a good annual income. We've worked hard to separate out the business's finances from like my own personal finances. But so actually, I think with what I'm working with, I actually am trying to pay off my student loans as quick as possible. I think for me, it's an emotional issue. I just like don't like the idea of needing to make a payment each month. 
like I mentioned, like I was able to refinance down below 4%. So like you can make the serious argument. Why not just go and put that money into a index bond? And on average, you'll probably make more than 4%. But for me personally, it's just like something uh, doesn't feel good about having to make a payment each month. So that's why I'm trying to pay off mine as fast as possible. And uh, how about you, Mike? What's your plan with your student loans? Are you trying to attack it as fast as possible or just ride the minimum payments out? I've been making the minimum payments. And then at Lend.edu, we actually have an employee benefit where they contribute $200 a month to my student loan. So that definitely helps out a lot. I haven't refinanced my student loans yet. I'm actually waiting to really just secure the best possible terms for refi, just building up my credit score as much as possible, repaying other debts. So, you know, I have a history of repayment. And then I'm going to go after refinance and secure the best possible interest rate and repayment terms. And then once I refi, then I'll probably really attack it aggressively and get it done with as soon as possible. That's actually kind of an interesting situation where you have $200 a month coming in to help with the student loans, which would maybe be a case where you wouldn't want to front load it, right? Because if you paid it all off in one month, then you're not getting that $200 every month, which is like, that's a positive thing. Like that's a, that's a, that's a cool thing. But the question I had was, you know, one thing I wanted to make sure I ask you guys for, you know, we move into the final questions is if we can get this episode out in front of some people while they're in college, they're maybe they're about to go into college, they're about to take out those student loans. What is like some red flags I need to be looking for? Some like predatory things that you've seen in the industry that, you know, maybe we can get in front of folks and protect them before it happens. As far as entering school goes, I think there are predatory challenges for both people entering school and and graduating. But for people that are entering school, don't ever pay to apply for scholarships. Like it is. That's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. There are actually a lot of scholarship scams out there. And if someone asks you to, to pay to apply, you should not do it. Same goes with financial aid. If you run across a website that's that's like asking for you to pay to, to fill out the FAFSA, like that is giant red flag. As far as like the lenders go in particular, like the, the first place to start is the Department of Education. Like if you need to take out a loan. But if you need to define funding beyond what the Department of Education offers. A lot of colleges will will have what's called their preferred lender list, where you can go to the financial aid department and they'll actually give you a list of the different student loan companies that they would recommend. If you're looking for a more exhaustive list, you can you can go to Google and you'll find tons of options. But I think if you're if you're looking for a really good list, I think the financial aid department's a good place to start. The other big thing is don't trust any type of phone call from someone posing as a student loan lender. And that's usually a bad sign, especially if it's coming from like an 800 number that you don't recognize. Don't trust any type of phone call if they're offering like low interest student loans or to consolidate your student loan. Don't fall for that. It's it's a scam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. It's one of the big scams too that people face as they're leaving school or at, once they're out in graduation is like, the big like student loan forgiveness scam, like Mike mentioned, robocalling is a pretty serious issue. And a lot of scammers have set these robocalls to basically call people and offer them student loan forgiveness. And if anyone ever calls you and, and asks you to pay an upfront fee for student loan forgiveness, that is definitely a scam. Awesome, guys. Well, appreciate you both giving us those red flags and some warning signs. So hopefully if we have some young listeners, they do not get thrown into the pit of 
student loan forever, but we want to make sure that people who are interested in your story, they want to maybe connect with you, learn more about Lend.edu. Mike, you can tackle this one first. Where's the best place to get in contact with you? With me, right away, you could just shoot me an email at brown at lendedu.com. My handle, like all of our press inquiries and all of our media stuff, so always happy to talk, whether by email or by phone. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn under Michael Brown. Yeah, LinkedIn or by email, brown at lendedu. We're all on the lendedu.com website, so uh, you can find us all there. Or you could just Google Michael Brown. Mike yeah. actually made it to the first page of Google search results for Michael Brown today. Yeah. Well, actually, it was Mike Brown, which is big Mike news. Mike Brown. Uh, uh, yeah. It's a very, it's very competitive, competitive. It's a very competitive name to rank for. And today, I ended up on the first page. So, uh, big news. If you want to contact me, you can send me an email, nate at lendedu.com. Happy to tell you more about how we got started and all the mistakes we've made at lendedu and Happy to also answer questions about like your personal student loan situation too. If you're dealing with something really complex, I'd love to try to help. Awesome. And the one thing that we always like to ask people, because this is a show about financial independence is, you know, we'll hit both of you up. Nate, you can go first. What is your one tangible tip to reaching financial independence? I would say don't be afraid to work really hard because I think my path to financial independence is personally not being very frugal. I'm not trying to be exceptionally frugal as a way to get to financial independence, but I, I do think it's important to work hard. And I think if, if you work really hard, you can get there a lot faster than if you just focus on being frugal. And uh, I would say, don't be terrified of debt, whether it's student loan debt or credit card debt, debt can be a very, very effective tool to finance things if it's used properly. And if you understand it, of course, if you don't know what you're getting into and you don't have your head fully wrapped around it, then it can, you know, snowball and get out of control. But if you know what you're doing, student loan debt can be a great investment. If you go to college and get a great degree and get a great high paying job and then pay off that student loan debt, then debt's a great investment. And like credit card debt can be good to, you know, instead of having to dip right into your savings for something, you know, put it on your credit card, but just keep control of it and stay on top of it. And it can be a very, very useful tool for your personal finances. All right. And so the last question of the podcast is, of course, the most important. This is the wild card question where I'm not ready. Justin's not ready. So neither of you guys are ready. And <laughs> I guess I'll start. Yeah, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do this one at a time, but you'll have the same question. I guess I'll start with you, Mike, since I think Nate took it last time. So give me your craziest in-office Lend.edu story where you're like, whoops, that shouldn't have happened, and it did. Oh, man. Because uh-huh. I've had so many of those in my businesses, and I'm like, I wish I could go and delete that. Yeah, so uh, we always have a holiday party every year, and we have like a bunch of our friends over and a bunch of our family over. And Joe is the bartender that we hire every single year. And Joe sometimes has a pretty heavy hand with his drinks. <laughs> and I remember, like, I think it was the second second holiday party. We were hanging out with Joe at the Land EDU bar in our office for till probably about 1.30 or 2 in the morning. And, yeah, it was a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you remember anything, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the details were a little bit scant. <laughs> Shout out to Joe. Every year we set, like, a really big goal for the third quarter. And if actually the goal is if we do better than we did the year before, we can take a company trip to Las Vegas. And – it was the second year we went. 
We lost Tom. <laughs> How is well, the hangover situation? Lost, but we were able to find him like a couple hours before the flight took off. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Sounds like Len DDO is a fun place to work. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. We try to make it fun. I mean, I really like my job and we offer student loan repayment benefits. So and trips to Las Vegas. So we try to balance it out. There you go. Well, Nate, Mike, thank you guys both for coming on the show today. I mean, this is definitely a topic that's on all the headlines. It's on, you know, everybody's top of mind. Most people know someone or has been affected by this topic. And it's also just really cool to see that, you know, you started such a cool, successful business. So I appreciate you guys taking some time coming on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us on. It was a pleasure. It was a ton of fun talking to you guys and we'd definitely like to be back one day. I had a lot of fun. Thank you for the opportunity. Cody, this was just another great episode where, you know, we had somebody come in, they saw a need, they just took it on, they grew this thing organically. And I love that you saw Nate as the creator, as well as an employee. So you could really see a true view of how this company's grown from kind of a leadership position and someone who came in kind of halfway. And as someone who is obsessed with side hustling and entrepreneurship, I've got to say, Nate, as a college student who started this company, is absolutely crushing it. He said for a couple months, they weren't really making any money. Then they started making $1,000 a month. And then toward the end of his college career, I'm pretty sure he said they were making $50,000 a month. I literally had to double take. I was like, did he just say $50,000 a month? And now I think he said they're earning seven figures in revenue. Not only is he solving a problem, he's helping people have access to quality information. He's also running a really successful business and even hiring his friends from school, giving them jobs. So I just thought this episode was super exciting and something that we haven't really seen before. Yeah, the growth is, is pretty impressive. I mean, I think they have 15 employees now and 10 of those were just like classmates. So it, it shows that you don't necessarily, you know, people are obviously important, but you don't have to like stress out so much to where you're going to the ends of the earth to find these people. You know, he just found good people he could trust nearby and that's grown tremendously. And the other cool thing is this platform they've built is something that they can kind of sleep well at night with because they're making a lot of money and to do that means advertisements but they don't cross the line between the advertisements they have on the page and the way they do the actual reviews of the products that they're talking about so if they're going to rank you know here's the best place to go refinance or here's the best place to get this kind of loan they're just going to tell you which one is the best they're not going to say it's the best because or we're going to talk about it because of a sponsorship and so i don't know i thought that was really commendable yeah, that was one of the reasons I wanted to have these guys in the podcast because honestly, we get so many pitches from companies, Justin, and we have to turn most of them down because they just seem scammy. They don't seem right. But me and Justin met Nate at FinCon. He seemed like an awesome, genuine guy. And after talking to him, we're like, you know what? These are good people. They're doing good stuff. And we were super pumped to have them on. They have such a great story to share and they're providing solutions for millions of people. Yeah. And I mean, well, obviously they're going to talk a lot about those traditional type of loans and, and products that you would use as a student. One thing we started talking about as well were these two really cool alternatives to, to traditional loans. One of them is called income sharing, and one of them is like these unbacked loans. So with income sharing, basically you're saying, hey, I'm going to get this loan from the college, and in return, I'm going to pay some fixed percent of whatever it is that I earn when I graduate back to the school. So that way you're never really in debt. You're just kinda, you are earning less, but you're never truly in debt that way. The other one, the unbacked loan, was also pretty cool. It takes kind of more of an insurance approach where – they say, hey, we don't care that your parents have we don't care that your parents have terrible credit scores or we don't even need a cosigner. We will sign you up for this loan and give you a decent rate if you meet the right criteria. So maybe you're a senior, is like some kind of STEM degree, like a computer engineer, you're gonna get a really good rate. Now, obviously, if you're a freshman in a degree that they're not sure if you're gonna make money, 
the rates are probably going to be pretty expensive, but it just shows you there's some more options out there to these traditional accounts. But one of the best things about student loans is... Whoa. What is it, Cody? It's the call to action, man. And so this week's call to action is pretty tactical. If you are someone, if you're one of the millions of people with student loan debt, look at some of the options where you can kind of optimize that student loan debt, whether it's refinancing, whether it's getting a better payment schedule, whether it's transferring that student loan balance over to another company. There are so many different options out there for you if you go in and do the research. So we want you to be paying the lowest amount possible. We do not want you saddled with debt. The Five Show is all about helping you reach that holy grail of financial independence. So go out there, do your research, and optimize your student loans. That's a great call to action, Cody. And this was just a great episode overall. We really enjoyed having Nate and Mike on and get to see how they're helping people and also grow a really cool business. If you want to keep up with their story and get the links to the show and everything we talked about, you can do so at thefiveshow.com slash lendedu. And as always, we want to invite you to come join a part of this great forum we have through Facebook and our community group at thefiveshow.com slash community. And as always, those five-star reviews just really help us out to get the best guests possible. So thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.